Welcome to Leash Connects Podcasts, where we explore a wide range of lifestyle topics with the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. My guests today are Josephine Rigney. Josephine works as the Resource Officer for Suicide Prevention for the HSE, covering counties Leash and Offaly. Josephine has worked in the area of health and mental health for over 20 years and is passionate about promoting emotional well-being and empowering everyone to realise their true value and potential. And we also have Bernie Carroll. Bernie is the Suicide Bereavement Liaison Officer with Pieta Midlands. Bernie is also a counsellor and psychotherapist and a clinical supervisor. Bernie has been working in this field for many years and her main area of work is around bereavement, loss and grief. Guys, you're both very welcome. I know today we're going to talk about the journey of loss and grief. So we're going to maybe explore maybe the different steps that people go through when we're on that journey. And also maybe look at ways in which we can make sure that we're moving through the journey with, you know, self-compassion supported by our our resilience skills. But maybe to start, like, I'm quite curious to know about what's brought you to the line of work that you used to do. And the reason why I'm asking that is your job titles aren't, you know, your typical run-of-the-mill job titles, mm-hmm. if you don't mind mm-hmm. saying. <laughs> is that a compliment or not? So, <laughs> what's brought you to this type of work? Well, Anthony, I'll start, Josephine, um, in sharing my little story that leads me to be the counsellor and psychotherapist and working in the whole area of bereavement today. And I suppose I recognised from a very young age that I was a caregiver. Okay. This would have stemmed from coming from a large family and recognising my role within that setting. Yeah. But it wasn't until I experienced my own personal loss many years ago that I recognised that I had no understanding of loss and grief and bereavement. And it was a very frightening experience for me. The questions that I posed then that I recognise now that I'm working in the field is how do I make sense of this loss? Yeah. What adjustments do I have to make? How do I find purpose and meaning in my life again? Even though I had the great support of family and friends, I also recognised the void that was within And that took me on my own journey of loss and grief and making sense of how to come through it. Yeah. That brings me to my next journey, which is I recognised then that I could help others. Yeah. So I became involved in voluntary work for three years, working in the parish centre on the telephone line. And it was then I really recognised that I could make a difference to people's lives. While I was making a difference to others, I was also making a difference to me. That led me then into furthering into the field of counselling and psychotherapy. Even though it's very essential to have the theory behind the practice, I can honestly sit here in front of yourself and Josephine today and acknowledge that my grace's learning came and continues to come from the the clients that I meet uh, in my practice. Okay. My career in counselling has led to a very positive change in my life. It has given me a greater sense of acceptance, greater self-esteem. It has also given me an ability to change my own thoughts and my own behaviours and to be able to express and manage my own negative emotions that I'm sure we'll all agree we experience from time to time. Hmm. Anthony, to be honest, I hope to continue in this field and I hope as I do so, it creates a change in the lives of others that I encounter along the way. Yeah. 
And for me, this work is extremely rewarding. And I suppose I'm so grateful that people allow me into their space and build that trusting relationship with them that I can bring change into their life. Yeah. And ironically, much of my work is around bereavement, loss and grief. Yeah. You know, so that's how come I came into this work today yeah. and continue to do so. Yeah. How about you, Justin, then? Well, Anthony, my background would be psychology and social studies. That's that where my qualifications lie. And that's the theory side of it. But the personal side of it is that I just have a huge interest in people and empowering people. I've had various roles in the health service, both in Ireland here and, and abroad in Australia. 20 years ago, unfortunately, my family was touched by suicide. And that sparked my interest in, in suicide prevention. I suppose a, a little bit of a piece of me wanted to create more awareness for other people. Not that I was thinking I knew it all, but how could I bring my experience to help create awareness and prevent people from being in that that place of loss that, that I felt myself was in and my family were in at that time. So luckily I, I, w- I was working within the health services and I was able to, to gain a role in the suicide prevention department. And I've been in that role now for 15 years and in a lot of my work is, is around in, in delivering training programs, creating and, and bringing about promoting positive mental health, creating awareness in, in around the warning signs that we can look out for and really endeavouring to, to increase people's skills and and their confidence in how they can be that beacon of hope for somebody. How one person, each and every one of us, can reach out to somebody who may be feeling distressed or vulnerable and how we can be that that light, that that that, that person that can bring that person through, through their crisis. Yeah. But equally encouraging people who may be unfortunately finding themselves in that dark place, in that place of crisis where they see no hope, that there is hope, that there is, that they are important, that they are important to the world, that they are unique, that they have a contribution to give to the world and that with help, whether that is help from around circle of friends around them or whether that is professionals or different supports and services that they can get through that dark place that they may be finding themselves in now yeah. at that particular time and they can go on to live happy and, and fruitful lives. And in, in latter years, and I've qualified as, as a life coach, furthering my belief in the potential of people and that each and every one of us, like I said before, are unique, but we all bring a different aspect to life. And sometimes I think that thankfully it is great that we are all different Mm. because it takes the pressure off us. I don't have to be perfect. I can be the best I am at the moment with what I have, but other people can do their different skills and they can bring their skills to different things. But I can be me to the fullest potential that I can be me. And Realising that, I think, is great for people and to realise the potential that each and every one of us can be for ourselves and for others. Yeah. And, you know, Josephine, you're so right when you say, I can be me. Mm. And it's nearly like every day we can tell ourselves, I am me for who I want to be and not for who others want me to be. And when you speak of that beacon of light, when you speak of that hope, hope is one of our greatest strengths. Hope can be our driving tool. Mm. And without hope, we don't have anything. Because we can hope for a better tomorrow. We can hope for healing. And I don't mean healing to equate to a wound, but we can hope for healing. We can hope for peace. Yeah. And that's what I always encourage people on their grief journey, to hold on to hope. Because as the acronym hope, a pal of mine would say, hold on, pain ends. And I always say this to people. It mightn't seem that way at the time, but hope is our greatest tool. Mm. Along with resilience and determination and perseverance and courage. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many strengths that we need to help us get through our our losses. Can I ask you then, Bernie, like what are all the different ways in which we can experience loss throughout our lives? 
That's a, a very good question, Anthony. And first of all, let me say that loss and grief is a very, very sensitive topic. But the reality of it is that much of our loss, much of our lives is around loss. Mm. And sometimes the losses that hurt the most for some people are the ones that are taken from us. Losses such as losing a physical part of oneself, loss of sense of security, sense of certainty in life, loss of childhood, loss of independence, loss of one's home, a repossession of home, loss to divorce and separation, which is very like a debt, but is compounded with a lack of finality. The one who's gone and continues to live and the one who's left behind, searching for missed signs of what happened within the marriage. So that's very much like a death and it's very important to acknowledge that. And of course, the big one, maybe for all of us in the room here this morning, is the empty nest syndrome. You know, that's one where our children grow up and they grow up to be autonomous, independent and independent and suddenly they leave the home. Mm. And we're left with that question. Who am I? Yeah. Now that my children have fled the nest. And that's a big one. And that was a big one for me. And that's what also led into posing that question. Who am I now that my children have fled the nest? Yeah. And the difficulty with these losses Anthony, for many of us, is that what was predictable yesterday for them is gone today. Now, these losses are very difficult to process because they bring with them the same sorrows as losing a loved one to death, but not, of course, with the same intensity. So that would be the, the losses that I would refer to that's non-debt related. Yeah. But at the same time, there's huge adjustments to be made. And people go on a journey to adjust to these losses. I'm sure we would all experience. And you too, Josephine, maybe the empty nest syndrome. Yeah, I suppose. Yes, you know, my children are all gone mm. now. And, and I know when my baby left home, there was a loss in the, in the house. You know, there was a yearning, you know, and, and there's an adapting and an adjusting to be done then. And mm. on the rational side, we can think, oh, our children are gone and, and they're doing well and that's what we want for them. But on, but on the, the feeling side and the emotional side... It's, it's quite different, isn't it? I can equate to that. And, and mm. the other thing that really came to me when you were speaking there, Bernie, is the adjusting. Because, you know, you know, that phrase time heals, you know, and, and over time, the grief lessons or the, the loss lessons. And I always think that whilst that's true, there is a as certain aspect of that, that that is true, because in the very beginning, our loss, our grief, it's all consuming. It's all we can think about. It's its that big, that big adjustment, that big shock that has come into our lives. And now we have to deal with this, that the fact that somebody we love or somebody we yearn for, they're no longer have a place in our life. But I think as time passes, it's not that our, the grief that we're feeling, it's not that it lessens or it shrinks, but that we build our own world around our grief, that we become as we grow again. We adjust back to life again. We start doing the things that we, that we did before. We start getting the to normalizing our grief within our world. We start doing the nice things that we used to enjoy in, in our life before. And that nearly gives us the energy to to deal with our grief. It's not like you live in partnership with grief. It's a great word, Anthony. Yes, yes. It's like we're going backwards and forwards, you know, and, and it's like giving ourselves permission. You know, some days... You know, we want to feel our grief. We want to deal with the heartache. And maybe some days we just don't want to feel the world. And maybe we just want to stay in our house or potter around the garden and maybe not face people. And that's OK. But other days 
We might go out and go for a walk and socialise and meet somebody for coffee. We might sing, we might laugh, we might dance, we might play music. It's the partnership with the grief and it's okay to do that. Yeah. And it's the giving ourselves the permission to that partnership to go backwards and forwards. And the doing the nice things in life gives us the energy then to deal with the grief that sometimes we need energy for because grief can be very... It can drain our energy, but we need the energy to be able to sustain that too. Can we talk about that then? Can we talk about, you know, the impact that grief and loss across all the different ways in which it impacts us, how it impacts our lives, you know, on a day to day basis? Well, first of all, Anthony, we have to recognise that death is very much part of life and it gives meaning to our existence. And it shows us how precious life is. Knowing death is a certainty and loss is the inevitable result never prepares us for the actual loss. Mm. And our coping mechanisms are very varied and very multifaceted, so it can never be generalised. It's not difficult to see how we have to grieve in our own way and in our own time. The impact that loss has on everybody is completely different. And nobody is in the same place in the grief at the same time. So when we look at, I suppose, first of all, is to distinguish between loss and grief and maybe bereavement, because many people don't recognise that they have complete different meanings. OK. And, and, and I know this from my own personal experience that I spoke about earlier. So bereavement means to be robbed of someone special, to have special needs, in some way to be ruptured. And when someone we love dies... We hear ourselves say, we have lost somebody. But sometimes what we really mean is that we are lost. And it goes back to the adjustments that Josephine's talking about. What adjustments do I have to make now that my loved one is gone? Whereas when we look at grief, grief is the internal response to loss. It's the emotions that I feel when I lose somebody that I love. And it works from the inside out. So when we grieve, we're working through the emotions from the inside out, as opposed to the mourning stage, which is the acknowledgement of the loss. It's where we reach out for the additional support. It can be the beginning of the grieving process. We naturally grieve, but it takes a conscious effort to mourn. So when we look at the stages of grief, and look, there's many models you look at the stages of grief, you look at the tasks of grief and you look at the dual process. But I'm going to look at the stages of grief because we'll all be very familiar with them. When we look at when we first hear that a loved one has died, we go into that state of shock slash denial. Mm. And being in shock is like getting an anaesthetic. It numbs you from your feelings. Mm. And the denial serves a great purpose. It's a coping mechanism that we have to protect us for that length of time to get through the funeral, everybody coming in to visit the home, the saying goodbye to your loved one. So it gets us through that awful early days of our grief. And we can stay in that denial stage for as long as, as we want to because it, it protects us from facing the pain and the sadness that we're about to experience as mm. we go on our grief journey. And then, of course, we will experience it impacts on us in many ways. We will experience anger. We may experience guilt. Anger is very much part of the grieving process. Some people feel guilty 
And we know that there's two different types of guilt. There's real guilt and there's unrealistic guilt. Until we come to a place where we would say acceptance, but it's not a word that I use and I'm not very fond of the word. So I tend to use until we learn to manage your grief better. So it goes back to what Josephine said about time is a great healer. When I say that too early on in the grieving process to a bereaved person, to somebody that has lost their loved one, they would say to me, Bernie, don't say that. Time is not a great healer. And I say, you're right. It's not a great healer, but it is a good diminisher. Because when you felt the impact of your loss at that moment in time, you know that you felt it in your heart. And that has never changed. But as we move away and as we keep busy and as Josephine explained, all the other things that helps us move forward, we learn to manage it better. The grief never went anywhere. It's just that you manage to move away from it and it becomes more diminished. It's not that time is a great healer, but it is a good diminisher. What I find interesting really is the fact that there's different types of grievers as well. And I learned that myself from watching my experience and watching my family's experience and how my mother was grieving the loss of her son. We can be instrumental grievers or we can be intuitive grievers. The intuitive grievers are the grievers that internalize their feelings and, and externalize their feelings. So they cry and they'll look for support and they'll talk about the loved one. And, you know, everybody, they'll take every opportunity they can to express their feelings. My mother was like that. Mum was very good at crying and looking for support and getting support. I was the instrumental griever. I was the doer. I did my grief. I went into my head. I internalized my feelings. I was organizing things. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing the grief, you know, I was doing the problem solving, organizing, doing the arrangements and everything like that. So people are different grievers. It's good to recognize that because there's no right or there's no wrong. There's no, there's not saying that my way was right or my mom's way was right or whatever. It's, it's just that we are as we are. Again, going back to that word, giving ourselves permission to grieve, accepting how we are, because each and every one of us are unique. We will grieve the way we are. And it's being kind and compassionate to ourselves and saying, well, that is my way of grieving. I will grieve in on my journey. My journey will be that way for me. It'll be different for somebody else. And to not be too hard on ourselves and to be kind and compassionate to ourselves and say, that's OK. That's my way of processing my grief. Somebody else may process it in a different way. But we are each so different. And that's really important to not to be hard on ourselves and to honour our, our humanness in our grief, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Josephine, I'm so glad you said that because it brings me back to a time when I visited a home of a lady who had lost her loved one to suicide. That's when I first recognised how I can work with someone who's intuitive and then someone who's instrumental. And this lady was blended. So she was a bit of the she doer. She was a bit of both. She was intuitive and she was able to stay in touch with the sadness and the fear and the anguish and the pain and the sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And yes, she wanted to learn more about it. Mm. She wanted to read up about it. She wanted to understand what suicide was. So she focused on learning more and became very instrumental in it. Because we have to remember that our loved ones lived before they died and they sat in a chair and their memories are still in that chair. And when you find somebody that is able to talk about the loved ones, nearly celebrate their life as well, along with mourning their death, 
That's a very good place when you're in the grieving process. And I hear more people say that today. You know, I'm going, I'm choosing to celebrate the life that I had with them, along with giving myself permission to mourn the death. It's like they've really placed that person in a different part in their life. They're, they're no longer phys- they're no Absolutely. longer physically in their life, but they're honouring them. They're with them. They're spiritually, or but they've placed them in a different, another loved part in their life. There you go, Josephine, and it goes back to what you said about the adjustment. Who am I now that mm. I don't have my loved one? What adjustments do I have mm. to make? And I know I read a beautiful story one time of a spouse who had lost her husband, and her friend asked her. Are you angry with your spouse because he left you? And she said, God, not a torture. How would I be angry? Sure, he did everything for me. Sure, he brought home the turf. He did the ESB bill. He looked after the bank. He did the shopping for Christmas. And the reality of it is that she was very angry because now she had to adjust to a new way. She had to learn how to go and pay the ESB bill to look after the bank and all of that. Mm. But the last task of grieving, you said it, Josephine, is placing your loved one in your spiritual world as opposed to your physical world. And once we do that, then we can start to honour them more Mm. and celebrate the life that we had with them. What does that mean then, Bernie, to place somebody in a spiritual world? Because they're, they're not there physically. And some people create a shrine and some people find it very hard to let go of their loved one. For instance, it could take up to two years before somebody will be able to let go of their clothes because they're holding on to them physically. Whereas when you allow a person to go free, you allow them to go into a different world. Now, people would have different views of that. Mm. You know, some people, you know, spirituality is a different dimension. Mm. And it looms larger in some people than it does in others. So too, like appetite larges for some people than in others. So too the spirituality. So it's about setting your loved one free and placing them in that place where you believe that they could possibly be looking after you. They've okay. gone to a different place. Okay. And everyone would have a different belief of where that place would be. Yeah. But for me, I believe that my loved ones are in that place, that higher place that they're reminding me. And I call on them occasionally. So it depends. It's, it's your belief and we have to respect everyone else's view on that. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, what can block that for people is that perhaps, as you mentioned, if, if we're angry, perhaps that the person has now gone. We may not be angry at the person, but we may be angry at the world or for denying us of that, this person in our lives. Or we may be, sometimes we may be, not so much angry, but more um, hard on ourselves because we're grieving so long or we're not getting past the sadness. Or we might be saying to ourselves, you know, it's a year now. I should be over. I should be I should be right. I should be over that person. I should be able to function and go out and and be back the person I was before this terrible loss came into my life. But I think being hard on ourselves and, and putting those impositions on ourselves and those those expectations on ourselves can stunt, can block our journey through our grief journey. Because then we're, we're not being kind and compassionate to ourselves and we're railing against ourselves. But if we just let ourselves be and don't put any expectations on ourselves and just do our grief, be our grief. There's a saying, you can't get around grief. You have to go through it. I was going to ask, way. you used the phrase a couple of times, give yourself permission. Do you find sometimes people think that there should be 
a certain way at a certain stage, even to the point where maybe they shouldn't be feeling a certain feeling at a certain stage. Definitely. Yes. Okay. I've had so many conversations with people who would say to me, the second year is the hardest. Okay. And everybody expects you, oh, it's a year now. You should be well over. You should be back to, you know, adjusting and, you know, not that you've forgotten about that person, but that you're not, you're through your, through your grief process. But the second year is sometimes the hardest for people. I suppose it's the reality sets in. The first year anniversary has come and gone. The reality now sets in for the person. The support may not be there from people because people have expected you to get on with life. And I think, you know, we do rituals and, and funerals very well in Ireland. But sometimes it can be all over in a few days. I remember thinking uh, a week after my brother died, my God, what has happened in a week? My life has turned upside down in a week. And yet it has been so busy. And yet people nearly expect you to get on with things then. You know, when a month passes and people expect you to be through your journey in, in life. And, and yes, people, I think to go back to what you said, people do have these expectations that it's a set journey. You know, it should only take perhaps six months or a year or at the most, maybe 18 months. And then you, sh- you should be through your grief journey. But that's different for everybody. Yeah. So the permission then to grieve is to, is for each and every one of us to give ourselves whatever length our journey is, that is the length of our journey. Is it possible that maybe we can get stuck in grief? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what does even that mean? What does that mean? Well, when we look at the sorrows that's associated with loss and grief, you look at the emotional, physical, psychological, social and spiritual. They're the, they're the five sorrows that we experience. And when we look at the feelings that's associated with it, we look at the sadness, we look at the fear, fear being the biggest emotion of all. And we know the sadness speaks for itself because it takes over the whole body. There's no time limit on grief. And as Josephine said, we need to give ourselves permission to continue to grieve for as long as we need to. But 60% of people can get through their grief with the support of their family and friends. 20% needs to reach out maybe for additional support like I did when I experienced my loss. As good as my family was... I just needed to reach out for that additional support to go on my grief journey. Now, there is that other 20 percent that might get stuck in their grief and their grief might become complicated. Now, we're not talking about um, let's take anger, for instance. Mm -hmm. And anger is a very toxic emotion. And it's very poisonous in the body. And we can work with anger in two ways. We can work with it in a destructive way. And we can work with it in a very constructive way. But if we get stuck in our anger, we can't move from it. And we can be angry with whoever. We can be angry with the medics, maybe. We can be angry with our loved one for passing away. We can be angry with God. We can be angry with the whole world. And if we get stuck in that, our grief will become complicated because you're not allowing yourself to process any of the other emotions that's associated, any of the other feelings that's associated with loss. And if we turn anger inwards on us, it can lead to a depression. Now, I'm not talking about a clinical depression. I'm talking about a reactive depression to our grief. But if your anger becomes complicated, it warrants for more professional help. And if a person gets stuck in that anger or gets stuck in their guilt, for instance, it can take a long, long time to work through that. I think, unfortunately, 
that can be the aspect of, of, with bereavement through loss, through suicide. Absolutely. Because there may be anger there. There may be guilt. Yeah. It can lead to more complicated grief, but because a person can get stuck in, with all those other emotions, they're, they're not then allowing themselves to process their sadness and the other feelings that they may be feeling. It, it can become more complicated and, and that's uh, people do not need help. I shouldn't say need mm. help, but that support can be really beneficial for a person to be able to to sometimes to have the space to be able to put those thoughts out there. And sometimes it's helpful, as you said, we need that extra support because we may not be able to say it to our families or to the other members of our family, how we're feeling, the guilt, the anger, those feelings, because it may be hurtful for them to hear those. So sometimes it is really, really helpful and beneficial to us to go to outside counselling or support mm-hmm. or, or somebody just to listen to us. So where we can have our own space and express those feelings, get those feelings that are mulling around in our head like a pressure cooker, put words on to those onto those feelings and have the space to be able to, to verbalize them and see them in front of us and make sense of them ourselves mm-hmm. so that we can can I ask just a couple of things I just want to pick up on you've mentioned family a couple of times said a death by suicide or even say death through natural causes maybe like old age is it important for family like for family members to say support the person that's being grieved or can family members hinder that if they aren't tolerant? You can't still be sad about that. You can't still be grieving that. Can that hinder somebody's capacity to, to journey through the process? Mm. Because it's, it's the expectations. This is how I do grief. You're doing it different. So, you know, why can't you be, be like me? And, and Or you shouldn't, you're not entitled. It's not that you're not entitled. You shouldn't be that sad because that person carried out that act or, yeah. you know, that person had lived a good life. So you shouldn't feel this way. Yes. You're, yeah. you're over. Is that? Yeah. We're not respecting the different way that people grieve. But we may not be respecting that, again, as, as I said, that everybody's journey to grief is different. But I suppose maybe there's, in that, maybe the, the person is trying, the family member is trying to support the other family through love and through, through, through support and, and through trying to, to help them to, 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 to go through their grief journey. But unfortunately putting perhaps unrealistic expectations on them. And that's a big part when it comes to the loss to suicide, because there is that protective factor in us within the family. Yes. And even though they want to support them and they, they loved them through it all, but there is that piece that if it's not spoken about, then it's OK. Mm. And over a period of time, then it stops a person in the family or maybe more than one person in the family from actually talking about yeah. the loss. So it stunts their growth to recovery. Okay. And I would find that quite a bit. And hence, that's where you reach out for that support in that. And and I would say it and I always believe it when we name it, we tame it. And I would say it to the bereaved person. Have you stopped talking about your loved one? Because the one thing we need to do continuously to keep the memory of our loved one alive is to mention their name. I mean, when my family mentioned my loved one's name. It was nearly like I got this surge of warmth inside me or it was nearly like, oh, to still remember, especially in suicide, it's nearly like and it's not stigma or anything like that. It's just that it's so difficult for each individual to talk about the circumstances of the death because it brings with it intense, different sorrows, that bewilderment, that sense of abandonment. Did you not know that I loved you? The unanswerable questions of the whys and the if onlys. And we know there is no obvious solutions to suicide. We know there's no possible answer. What we do know for certain, though, is that death to any cause is a mystery. 
but that the suicide is incomprehensible. And I always feel that those who who have experienced uh, such a loss needs more than those bereaved, as you said, Anthony, by natural causes, mm. because of the anguish, because of the despair, because of the unanswerable questions that's associated with, with a loss to suicide. Mm. And even more a loss to suicide when their loved one's body has not been made to rest. Mm. So that's, you know, so it brings with it more intense anguish and despair. But the reality sometimes is that people, because they're coming from a caring place, they may not mention to the person about their loved one that has died by suicide because they don't want to bring up the anguish. They may be feel that they don't have the proper words. They may cause hurt. They may not say anything. If I say something that will bring that person into, in, they'll remember that person and not thinking that they're always thinking of that person. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity to talk about the person that they have lost is a gift because they want oh, to talk absolutely. about that Absolutely. Mm. It is a gift. They're acknowledged. They're being acknowledged. They're being remembered. We're always remembering them. But then when somebody wants to have a, say a few words about them or, or, or remember something that they used to do or say a kind word about them, that's a gift to that person that, that is grieving. It is. It is. But we also have to remember that we don't always move through the stages of grief in any linear fashion. You know, you can be angry one day, you mm. can be sad the next day, you can be anxious the next day, you can be very fearful. And I would I would call it the steps of grief because we go up and down, back and forth. Sometimes we get stuck on one step. But I always say... Any step forward in the grieving process is a step in the right direction. What then, Bernie, just on that point then, what type of steps could a person take if they are feeling stuck? Or what even could a family member or a spouse or a friend do to support somebody then that is feeling stuck? Like what type of steps could they encourage a person takes? Well, the one thing that you would encourage anybody to do would be to communicate. Talking is the best therapy of all. And I always believe, Anthony, that with talk comes freedom. With freedom comes hope. And with hope comes renewed life. And as I said before, hope is our driving tool. So it's to nurture them. It's nearly like to put a scaffolding around them, to hold them up and support them in any way they can, to allow them to fall into the sadness. Because sometimes we have to fall apart to be able to come back together again. So it's to be able to meet them where they're at and to allow them that space to be able to talk about what it is that's going on for them at that moment in time. And for the individual themselves who is, is grieving, it's really just to be kind to yourself, to be compassionate to yourself. How would you be to somebody else that you cared about? What, you know, how, how loving and understanding and, and caring would you be for that person? Give that mm. to yourself and to honour yourself, you know, don't put to expectations on yourself that you, you have to do this or you have to do that or you have to be this part, you know, you have to get over the, the person within a certain length of time. Just allow yourself to be imperfect and to be in your grief as you are. But to be kind to ourselves because sometimes we can be the, the hardest people on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be that, that hard on other people. So be compassionate to ourselves. Be self-compassionate. Do you know what C.S. Lewis in his book, um, Grief Observed, 1961, we talk about fear. We talk about the physical sensations that's associated with grief, that hollowness in the stomach, that tightness in the chest, that lump in the throat that sometimes when we're not given permission to talk about our grief, 
I don't know if you recognise it, but you swallow it back down mm. and you feel that lump in the throat. And and he would say after losing his wife that no one ever told me that grief was so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation that I feel is like being afraid. That same flutter in the stomach, that same tightness in the mm. chest. And and that's the physical sensations that's associated with grief, along with the the emotions, the fear and the sadness. But we also have to remember, Anthony, that after a loss, the gap seems in our lives seems very deep. And for a while, all we can do is step around it. And in these circumstances, it's normal to feel that life will never be the same again. But you know what? Our basic instinct is our need to survive. We have family, we have friends, we have loved ones, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. But first of all, there's a period of grief, a period of falling down and picking ourselves back up again. The journey is unpredictable. And you spoke about the journey, Josephine. But to get to the other side of it, you have to go through it. It's like the old African saying, to get to the other side of the desert, I have to go through it. Mm. And if I could read you a lovely quote from Christy Canelli's book around bereavement and loss. And it's a beautiful quote and and I hold on to it dearly. And he says, bereavements are hinge points in our lives. Times when we are challenged to face the reality, feel the pain, find the balance and move on. It's always for better or for worse. There is no middle way. Grieving well is hard work and it's a full time job. Goes back to what you said, Josephine. When it's done fully and well, it can lead to an expanded person deeper in wisdom and compassion than before, more able to give and accept. Those who have already made this pilgrimage will recognise this is the truth, but they will never impose their truth on the pain of another. And those who are on that long, hard road may wonder how that can be possible. Discovery is in the journey you are undertaking at this time. And I think that sums Mm. up Brilliant. Guys, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and your knowledge and your experience today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Till then, Slongo Foyle.